All right. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to ITRA Trail Talks, the official podcast of the International Trail Running Association. Uh, I'm your host, Jeff Campbell, and uh, I'm here uh, today to have a, uh, some really interesting guests to talk about an important uh, topic in our sport. So we're talking about women in ultra running today, um, and I'm lucky to be joined by um, two of the, uh, the, the toughest ladies out there. Um, so first off, um, I'd like to uh, say hello to uh, our guest originally from New Zealand, although she's represented Team GB internationally. Um, she's supremely accomplished with more top 10 results than I can, I can name at, at some of the biggest races in the world. Um, uh, Sophie Grant, welcome to, to Trail Talks. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, and then uh, sharing the screen with us, we have from Canada, a human rights lawyer, NGO founder, and one of the, the the toughest ultra 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 distance athletes I've ever met. Um, we have uh, we have Stephanie Case. Hey Steph, how are you doing? Hey Jeff, I think our let's see if our Canadian accents get stronger as this podcast goes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll send a copy to the CBC afterwards so that they can uh, they can throw it on their website. <laughs> Um, so I, I'm well aware of, of both of your sort of running, running backgrounds, but maybe if, if you wouldn't mind, uh, Sophie, just sharing a, a quick bio sort of of yourself, um, uh, your, your history in the sport, um, and sort of what you're, what you're up to in terms of your, your running these days. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I mean, I started ultra running back in 2013 when my husband bought me a place in the Marathon de Salves as a birthday present. Um, and so that kind of started the whole shebang. Um, and it's a nice starter I, race. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was very lucky. He built me a heat chamber in the garage. So, and so I was able to train in London in 40 degree heat in Fulham. Um, but that kind of started the whole love of going long. And, and since then, I've just tried to find races that are you know, interesting and different. And particularly, I really enjoy racing in, uh, you know, races that have competitive women's fields. Like I really enjoy racing with other good women. So, you know, I've raced uh, the UTMB a number of times, um, TDS, uh, just recently last year because of Steph's influence. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I um. I just, I just love being out there in the environment and, you know, getting to, to go and race good women in interesting places. Okay. Um, and what sort of distances do you, um, do you prefer to compete in? I, I know that you've, you've run some very long distances, but, uh, um, uh, what's, what's sort of your range in terms of the, uh, the trail running? You know what? I'll do a bit of anything. I mean, I, I'm not necessarily competitive in everything, but I certainly will race anything from VKs to, and what's the tour, 330 kilometers. Um, I think probably my, uh, the distances that I'm more competitive at are the 100 kilometer to 100 mile kind of range. Although let's see, I might go back and have another go at the tour. So maybe that on my new distance. That sounds great. Um, Steph, um, maybe you could uh, tell a little bit about your sort of um, your background and um, and your sort of involvement in, in, in the sport of trail running, both both as a participant and in terms of some of the other things that, that you've done. Sure. Thanks. 
So I've been ultra running for about 15 years and um, I'd say unlike Sophie, who I really see as a, as a, such a versatile athlete, I will um, contradict um, what she said. I've seen her podium at all sorts of distances of races, so I won't let her uh, be humble on that. Um, yeah, in contrast to Sophie, I really uh, can only do one thing and that's um, run the really stupidly long, crazy distances uh, well. And um, whereas Sophie, you know, is very good at those races that are super competitive for women, I tend to um, pick these races where we don't really see much women um, at all, which is maybe why I tend to do well because the, <laughs> the field is uh, is certainly smaller. But I, I specialize in the uh, kind of 200 mile plus distances. Um, I started off in the the multi day stage racing, uh, racing the planet, the Four Desert Series. Um, got into the 100 mile uh, distance right after that. And while I will do races that are under 100 miles for, for training purposes, I'm, I'm only competitive uh, <laughs> beyond the 100 mile distance, I think. And I really just love um, getting out in the, in the mountains and um, trying to pick new running challenges, whether it's the Barkley or um, Tour de Glacier, which is the 450 kilometer uh, upgrade on, on Tour de Géant, where you have to navigate um, for yourself. Um, whatever the, the challenge, I, I like to, to see how much further I can push the body and, and push, the, push the mind. And I think that relates to um, some of the training environments that I've been in. So as a human rights lawyer, um, I work for the UN and have um, been training for a lot of these crazy races in um, pretty difficult parts of the world, including South Sudan, Gaza, Afghanistan. Um, I'm currently living in the, the Middle East. And uh, while my base is, is in, um, I wouldn't say a calm place, I'm, I'm in Jerusalem. I also travel to, to Gaza, uh, Lebanon, um, should be covering Syria as well. So it, it adds a different element, I think, um, to what I bring to the trails when I, I do get to, to somewhere that's that's quite peaceful. And then I guess outside of the running but still in the in the space, I've tried to be tried to raise some issues around um, women's rights, the barriers that, that women um, face to entry in our in our sport. I think there's this understanding that all you need to do is put on your shoes and run and it's it's open to everyone and that, that certainly isn't the case. So I've been on the North Faces um, Advisory Council for their Explore Fund uh, for uh, ENEA. Um, so this is, Jimmy Chin was on the one in, in the US where maybe a little bit less pro high profile in, in Europe um, and then served on the uh, equity committee for the board for Hard Rock. Um, no, that's great stuff. And um, Steph's also been involved in some uh, some organizations like um, free to run, um, which uh, do, you, do you want to just uh, say a little bit about that? Because I think that is relevant for the topic of uh, of women getting into the sport. Yeah, thanks. Some, sometimes when something is so close to your DNA, you, you forget to mention it. Um, so I started a, a nonprofit organization called Free to Run in 2014. I started it in Afghanistan. Um, we are now, our, our flagship is, is in Iraq um, because of uh, some of the difficulties we faced in, in Afghanistan last year with the Taliban um, uh, taking over two years ago now, Taliban taking over the country. But it's, it's an organization that um, creates and supports uh, women and girls in areas of conflict through uh, leadership and outdoor adventure. So really finding ways 
to um, allow women to safely and boldly engage in the outdoors and to reclaim that public space that um, that women just have less access to. And you know, this is certainly the case in in areas where Sophie and I train, but it is so much more pronounced in the areas of conflict um, where women are, are disproportionately negatively affected. Okay, no, th thanks for that, Steph. Um, and you, you mentioned that a lot of people think that trail running is, or running is just one of the most accessible sports. You know, you just, just need a pair of shoes. Um, and um, that's obviously not the case for all, for all athletes. Um, it, it can be in intimidating. There could be all sorts of other sort of barriers or impediments to, to even starting participation. Um, Sophie, would you want to share, you, you mentioned you got started at a, at a fairly large race because um, someone bought you an entry and, and encouraged you to, to, to start. Um, it, early on in your um, experiences in the sport, um, did, did you experience personally any sort of barriers just um, uh, in terms of um, uh, getting involved? I, you know what, I've been very, very lucky that I have a husband that supports me 100% in any endeavor that I go out to do. But, um, you know, even just the conversations that you have with the general public, you know, I was a hairdresser at the time, I'm now a running coach, but I was a hairdresser at the time and having conversations in the salon with uh, people about, you know, you just, some, even just some of the comments you get, you don't look like a runner or, you know, you, oh, oh, what's your marathon time? You know, you tell them, you oh, you don't look like you could run that fast. You know, just these often comments on your appearance um, in races, just I've had, I don't I don't know what it is about me, but I seem to attract people wanting to comment, wanting to block me, wanting to, you know, do all sorts of kind of things to stop me from moving forward. Um, and it certainly was worse, you know, in the beginning because I wasn't sure of myself as a runner. So you're running along and a man's telling you that you're, oh, you've started too fast or you, uh, you know, you, you don't know what you're doing. and as a uh, like as someone who it's already taken a huge amount of courage to step up to that start line to have someone kind of belittle you like that and take that that away and like you're doing it wrong even though we are all on our own journey to get to the finish line be that maybe maybe I did start too fast but that is my like cross to bear and you know it's my like I need to figure that out myself I don't need to be told that by a total stranger so there was a lot of that. And, you know, I would love to say that it is no longer happening, but even in the last race that I ran, I had um, a man, I was running with another guy. We came up to a man, he let the guy in front of me pass. When I asked to pass, he said no. <laughs> yeah, no way. he said no. I was, it was so disappointing. You know, I was currently running in second, second woman. And you know what the thing is with that guy? We're not even in the same race. I am not racing you, you know, and he wouldn't let me pass. And eventually he was blocking me on all the corners. And eventually I managed to kind of like shimmy down beside him. But, but the problem is it, it's that it's that um, assumption that you're not going to be able to keep up the pace. And that's why he didn't let you go. I mean, I, I've certainly felt people blocking me because of that, but to explicitly say it is, is uh, intense. I bet that made you run faster. <laughs> I was furious. 
I was so angry and you know and so was the guy that I'd been running with when I t- when I caught back up to him dropped the guy who wouldn't let me pass caught back up to the guy I was running with told him and he was like I'm so sorry that this is ha- that that happened to you but it's not an unusual situation you know and this is this is you know I've been in the sport for over a decade no, I mean, that's uh, it's, it's a really sort of informative story. Um, you mentioned that it was it was worse earlier on. Is that because you have learned to to deal with the, sort of the the, the adversities, um, or do, do you feel like the community has has gotten somewhat better uh, from from the time that you started? I think it is definitely starting to get better. I think probably in. Um, and you know, like I don't speak the la- often I don't speak the language of the races that I'm running in, so sometimes it is just off body language and stuff like that. But I've noticed over the last few years that um, the majority of men in races now are becoming more supportive. They are not seeing women as so much of a threat to their own personal performance because I think before and still I'm sure you know like that whole getting checked thing was uh and still I'm sure weighs on on men that a a woman may be faster than them but I think we're seeing a lot more now we're seeing people out there who are you know outright winning races but it's just frustrates me because it shouldn't have to come to that we shouldn't have to have people like Courtney you know winning races for it to be okay for a woman to be faster than a man. So, so Steph, um, Sophie mentioned that she had sort of some support straight away um, with her first race. Um, Was that your experience? Um, And also in terms of other women that you've, that that you've worked with in terms of running, um, you know, could you talk about sort of some of the, experiences that you've seen them have in terms of just breaking into getting to the start line um, for, for, for their first race? I think for, for me personally, you know, I, I have a very supportive um, network, but, you know, even, even with my own family, when I entered my first race, it was a 250K self-supported foot race in, in Vietnam. And, you know, my family said, oh, oh, if you have to drop out, you know, it, it'll be okay. <laughs> And it's, it's, it was a supportive statement, but it was this kind of understanding. Um, I just don't know if, if, if men, when they go after races are, are told the, the same thing, um, because we're just socialized, you know, it's deeply embedded still in our psyche that, you know, these really, you know, tough, hard races are, it's a male domain. Um, and that somehow women aren't necessarily, um, up to, you know, up, up to the standard. Um, I, I think. I think I've been I've been lucky in in the opportunities that I've had. Um, where I have faced um, pushback, I think, is is when I try to bring up some of these issues around equality, or I try to to bring up um, some of the the barriers that other women have been facing um, in our sport. So, for example, um, I had a friend reach out uh, years ago um, who had gotten pregnant. And she really wanted to get a deferral of her races um, to another year because she was in um, Labrador and, and another uh, major race. And uh, she had um, asked um, the different race directors 
if she could push her, her race entry to um, the next year. And some of the races said yes, and some of them said no, even though they offered um, race deferrals for injuries. And it was just this understanding that, you know, I spoke to um, some of the race directors and this understanding that, you know, this is our role, um, we should be happy if, if we have babies, and, um, you know, why would we worry about such a little thing like like a race um, if, if, you know, you're taking on this big important role that, that women have. And it was just such a um, stark lack of, of understanding about um, what we have to face um, on a daily, weekly, monthly, um, yearly basis as athletes. Uh, you know, for, for myself, um, you know, I had a miscarriage last year and, you know, trying to come back into running and think about my race plans and my training plan for this year was almost impossible. And it's not a space I had really entered before, but I know, you know, some of my friends have there and, and they're doing it privately. They're doing it in secret. You know, we don't always know what everyone is is trying to do. And, and men don't have to think about that. They might have to think about, okay, you know, if I'm having a kid, the baby's going to be born this week. So I should probably try to block out, you know, a few weeks around that where I don't run any races. Whereas for women, like, this is not just a nine-month thing. It's a, it's a multi-year thing that affects our, our ability um, to enter races, to train, to qualify for races that then we have to get in lotteries for, that we have to get in lotteries for year after year after year in order to keep our lottery spot. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just impossible. And it, it's not just the, the biological um, issues that, that affect our, our barriers to entry. Um, I think it's also... Um, you know, considerations around um, challenges for training in terms of feelings of safety. You know, I, I often get pushed back on, on this point. And so I've, I've written down some statistics because I think having an evidence base is the best way to approach this. I recently read this brilliant book. It's called Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Carolyn Criado Paris. And it's absolutely brilliant. And, you know, you look at that, when I talk about safety in, in running, um, you know, people think I'm, I'm crazy, but it does impact the training space. If women don't feel comfortable training in cities or training in the mountains at night, um, then, then your training time is, is severely reduced. Then you are forced to either train on a treadmill at home. You're forced um, maybe not to train in certain spaces. And you know, looking at the statistics, in the UK, for example, 62% of women are scared walking in car parks, 60% are scared waiting on train platforms, 49% are scared waiting at a bus stop, 59% are scared walking home. And for men, the statistics are much lower. They're about half um, of those percentages. And then if you think about women of color who are statistically more likely to live in areas with high crime rates, it's, it's a lot worse. We talk about harassment, street harassment, which is just really never reported. 90% um, of women who experience unwanted sexual behavior don't report it, but when you, they do studies on how many women have actually experienced sexual assault, 90% uh, of French women, for example, have been victims of sexual harassment on public transport, according to a 2016 study. So, you know, you look at the our ability to train, our ability to repeatedly qualify for races, our ability to repeatedly enter in races, to plan ahead by a year or two years. And then you think on top of that about all of the extra unpaid labor, the unpaid work that women still continue to do. We still, according to the IMF, women do three times the amount of unpaid care work as men do, and that's two times the childcare and four times the housework. 
And so when you put that down into hours, women spend three to six more hours a day on unpaid work compared to 30 minutes to two hours for men. And before people say, oh, this doesn't apply to, you know, developed countries or, you know, to, to women who have high power jobs, they found that that absolutely isn't true. Even when you have the woman who is a breadwinner, the one who's bringing in the cash, she's still doing more of the unpaid labor as the men. So you put all of these barriers to, to entry together and that's where I'll say, no, I haven't personally suffered any, <laughs> um, feel like I've suffered any, any major um, issues. But when I, I bring um, up these more invisible barriers, invisible to some, I've received um, pretty severe, uh, don't want to say hate, but vitriol. Um, from some members of the of the community, both men and women. And this came up recently uh, when I was trying to make a, a push on, on hard rock. Um, and then I'll, I'll stop my diatribe, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a topic I'm passionate about. You know, hard rock, um, I was on their diversity committee, as I was mentioning, and one of the policies they pushed through, hard rock 100, you know, this is known as being one of the the most closed races, I think, that um, because of the way their lottery system has been set up, it tends to reinforce the, what's seen as the old boys club. And so what they'd looked at is because of the way the lottery was set up, this, the percentage of women that were applying to get into the race didn't even meet the percentage of women that actually got in to the race. And so the change in policy said that basically at least the same percentage of women that applied could get in. And so what I did is I, I encouraged all women who, uh, who had qualified for the race just to enter, just to enter because it would increase the opportunities for other women to actually get a spot. And because, uh, you know, we, we tend to need, men tend to be a little bit more confident and, and this is generalizing, but that there are the statistics to, to back it up. You know, even when they know that they might not be able to take something on, they enter anyway. Doesn't say with job applications or, or race entries. And women don't tend to do that. And if you don't get on the hard rock ladder you know, 10 years before you actually want to do the race, you won't get in. And some women had raised the fact that if they did get in and they weren't able to do the race, they'd have to pay a, a 200, um, they'd have to pay half of the, the race entry, which is about $200. And so I offered to refund anyone who got in uh, the, the $200 if they weren't able to run the race. And the backlash that I got from some of the community, I was manipulative, um, I was disingenuous, I was a narcissist. You know, it's, it's, that's where I've received the, the biggest, um, the, the biggest issues. So it's not me personally, but it's, it's the personal um, pushback I, I receive when I talk about these issues publicly. Yeah, I, um, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for sharing that. Um, <laughs> just going to add this in here, Steph. I think you'll really enjoy yeah. this one. So we entered in a schema yep. race last year or the year before, and we were looking at the cancellation policies if there was, you know, a pregnancy one. You could not get a uh, refund or deferral if you were pregnant. However, if you had a business meeting, you could. <gasps> no. Yeah. No. I can't. Mm -hmm. It just can't. I just can't. Yeah. I mean, it's fairly easy to schedule a business meeting, I guess. <laughs> but that's not that's not the point. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's wild. Um, there there were a few things that, that that you mentioned, Steph, which kind of which registered to me. The, the safety thing. I re I remember when um, 
when a, a female running friend mentioned that to me in, in terms of uh, safety while training. And it was one of those moments where just uh, it hadn't occurred to me uh, that sort of going yeah. out at night for a run would, would be an issue. Yeah. Um, and just a real sort of, oh, yeah, well, that's, I guess, for everyone, that's not that's not necessarily the case. Um, and then also just for the um, for uh, domestic um, uh, um, uh, chores and, and and work and the unequal distribution of that. I mean, to to run a three hundred and fifty or four hundred and fifty kilometer race takes a huge amount of time, but to to train for that takes that amount of time times <laughs> multiple times. Um, and um, I, I think it's sort of easy to separate sometimes the running from from all the rest of the, the life and its inequities and um, and how that they actually can can sort of uh, in, interplay. Um, we've talked a little bit about racing um, and things like race deferrals, which I know has been a a hot topic. Um, if if I was a hypothetical race director, you know, what would be sort of the action items that uh, experienced women athletes who've been through really great races and l less well-organized ones or, or ones with with other issues what would be on your sort of to on your must-have list for, for for an excellent run race that sort of um contemplates the needs of all participants what i would love to see and i um think there may be some races that are doing it now but any race that has a lottery, commit to filling a certain percentage with women before you then put everybody else back into the lottery. You know, like uh, most, a lot of these big races have maybe 10 to 15% women. Sometimes it's 8% women. On these really big races that people have had to qualify to get into, commit to 20%. Commit to 15%. Like just women deserve to have the the sport invested in with the same intensity that men you know so start with getting more women into your races um i think it's also really important and actually a race director discussed this with me which made me realize that it was important is how a race is marketed you know like don't necessarily use words that are going to be very masculine and kind of like extreme like sure you need to be realistic about what a race involves but if a woman reads that a race is you know gonna be uh really really difficult or really really technical and it's you know marketed in this like space that's really masculine kind of descri like described really ma as a masculine direction they're probably they're much less likely to think that they're going to be able to do it when they are equally as capable as the men on the start line so even just thinking about wording um, of how you, you promote your race to, you know, I mean, we saw recently, right, uh, providing sanitary product at your aid stations in case a woman has, you know, it happens mid-race where you're like, oh my God, I've got my period. What am I going to do? This wasn't meant to happen now. Um, you know, marking where your toilets are at your aid stations, making sure that there are adequate toilet facilities for women because we are not able to, you know, it's it's not as easy for us. Um, yeah, it, it's, I mean, the list is kind of endless, really. <laughs> 
I'm 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 going to compliment what what you said there, and and also bring in some more stats that I prepared. <laughs> but on on the first part about quotas, I absolutely agree. You know, quotas seem to be a controversial thing, and uh, I honestly they really don't need to be. It's just recognizing one that you know for a woman to get to the start line because of all of the reasons i have said it represents actually a much higher level of effort so let's make the the space to actually um to recognize that and also recognizing that representation matters and and it makes a difference you know when we talk about quotas yes 15 20 percent would be great but i wanted to, to point out the the high lonesome 100 which is the only western states and hard rock qualifier that guarantees a 50 50 split and I really want to give a, a huge shout out to them on, on that because I think that is that is setting the mark. We're actually um, asking for for I think too too low. And I, I did this on on the last podcast I was on when I said, yeah, you know, it'd be great if we could have you know 15, 20 percent. But I'm going to push you, Sophie, as well, to, so that we can both ask for why shouldn't it be 50 50? I know. Why not? I know. Why not? I know. Do you know why? Because every time I say that, as you yeah. get, you get pushback because for yeah. some reason we don't deserve as many people on the start line as the men. Exactly. And what I will say about the, the representation, I think it's possible, it's positive because it it has a, a, a ripple effect. So when you were talking about, you know, the importance of, of language and how these races are, are marketed, um, this is where uh, it was quite interesting as well from, from this book I read, I pulled out some evidence for this, for example, when you have language, when you have job advertisements that use um, the word he or they use male masculine language in the job advertisement, uh, women are less likely to apply. And if they apply and get the job, they're less likely to perform well. And that's because that that job, that space has been represented as male. So if we're doing the same thing in our races, it actually might mean that we get less women entering and get less women thinking that they can do well when they if they do get into that race. And, you know, it's important in English, but even more important in other languages. And I think that that's, that's critical because this is ITRA. If you think about French, you know, and there's, there's masculine and feminine. When you look on fr a lot of French race websites and they talk about the runner, they're using the male form of the runner. They, you know, it's le coureur, it's not la coureuse, which, I also understand it might have um, a negative slang <laughs> meaning of it as well, uh, but you know we're not we're not representing the the race in a in a way that um, I think could be as inclusive as possible. And then on the the sanitary products, absolutely, you know even if it it doesn't impact you know thousands and thousands of runners, I think it might. <laughs> it, it's also a you know another sign. It's a it's a it's a symbolic way of telling women that like hey, this, this is a space for you. We are considering your needs as well. You know, when I ran Tour de Glacier, the 450K, I had my period for the whole week. I mean, it was just horrendous. I'm trying to, you know, change tampons when you're out in the middle of nowhere and then carry a supply of tampons with you for a week um, is not, it's not a pleasant thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, considering what, what Sophie said about the, the toilets, Women have to go um, to the bathroom more than men. Uh, women get UTIs, urinary tract infections, eight times. We are eight times more likely to get urinary tract infections um, than men. And you know the ability to use um, toilets and, and to have um, 
uh, facility. That's not always possible. And a lot of the races we run, okay, I recognize this, but it's it's just making it where we can make positive changes, we, we should. And race directors have a responsibility to do that. Anything else in terms of like at the, you, you guys are both at the very competitive uh, sort of point of the, of, of the field. Um, in terms of things like prize money or, or even talking about um, men's and women's races as, as separate races, whereas you know, both of you guys have been in the, the, the top 10 or on the podium of the overalls in, in races. What, what are your thoughts on that in terms of um, sort of the dynamics of the competitive end? Really? Uh, so this wasn't a race that I was in, but one of my friends, uh, she was in the on the podium and I'm pretty sure I've got this right. The men got a pair of running shoes and the woman got manicure sets. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. It is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, you know, we are seeing a lot more equality now. Um, I, although it, it is, uh, you know, um, a, I guess, a publicity So I'm all for this. When Trans Grand Canaria took their top women and they put them on the start line at the front, in front of all the men, I'm, I'm there for that. I'm there for, you know, like women showcased. We need to, they need, like, we need more coverage. You know, uh, like, I hate to say that, you know, like, even the UTMB last year, we were watching uh, Killian run up a hill at night in the dark when this woman CCC winner is coming into, like, who cares about Killian running up a hill? Like, sure, he's amazing, and I want to see him finish, and I want to see him run, but you have got your woman's winner coming in for a hundred kilometer race and you are not showing that you know it's there's a lot of um just that kind of kind of coverage there's a lot of inequality within that and honestly i like you know i know that the men uh generally it's not the men at the front of the race that are the people that we are battling with but why aren't they talking up speaking up for us too right like why are they not going, hang on, actually, that's not right that I'm getting a pair of running shoes and she's getting a manicure set. It's not right that I'm getting more prize money. It's not right that I'm getting a better, you know, um, sponsorship deal. Or why, why is it that it's always just like, can you guys listen to us? And then, I don't know, it's all, I don't know for you, Steph, but it's always this kind of like, tricky balance of like not coming across as someone who doesn't want it's not that I don't want these things for the men but I also want them for the woman I don't want it oh, to be of course but at the, at the same time you know there are some things when it comes to the race lotteries that's that's where the pushback is because in order for more women to get in men have to uh, have less space and and that's that's something that I think we we need to do more more work on with the prize thing you know i can remember one race in italy where <laughs> it was in the fall but we were literally given like gourds like uh, pumpkins and and the women got tiny ones and the men got big ones and it was it was just a sign that like <laughs> men were better um <laughs> on the media coverage you know i think it's a that's a really important aspect because it 
um, subliminally, you know, influences um, how we see performance and and what kind of attention we're we're giving, and it impacts the, the sponsorship side. And I, I can't think of a, a a more telling example that just happened. I think it was today or yesterday um, with the with the BBC and the bias that plays into it. The BBC covered um, the spine race. You know this incredibly horrific i don't know why people do this race it's incredibly horrific across the uk in january i mean my god <laughs> um and you know they announced um damien as as having um broken the course record but of course he had broken the male course record the overall course record was jasmine paris it was a woman. They didn't even consider the fact or look it up to, to make sure that they were giving accurate information. And, you know, if I were her, I would just, you know, to have to not be recognized for that is is absolutely incredible. And so when we come to, uh, you know, there's a responsibility on the media side, but then when we come to the sponsorship side, this is where it gets really tricky. And, and I've experienced this. Um, you know, my myself, I, I am I'm on the North Base um, Explorer team. They they treat me extremely extremely well. But in talking with um, other athletes, other female athletes, with um, with a variety of, of of different sponsorship deals, with a variety of different uh, sports brands, um, you know, a lot of athletes have no um, non disclosure clauses in in their contracts so that they can't speak openly with others about what they're receiving. And I have seen directly, you know, women getting less because they're not asking for more, because they're in more vulnerable positions and they don't feel like they're at a, a good negotiating position. I'm not embarrassed to, to say that, you know, the only reason why I've been able to get more money out of these things is because of conversations with my partner, which is just ridiculous. You know, he, he often tells me, you know, think like a man, which is a bit sexist in and of itself, but... <laughs> But it's a, the the right um, you know it's 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 I I understand where that that sentiment comes from because uh, you know we're socialized to operate a, a certain way in, in these kinds of negotiations and if sports brands could remove all of these clauses about not being able to discuss contracts if athletes were able to be able to discuss with one another if we were be able to form some kind of alliances where women could know what's in you know all of the male contracts women can talk with other women and talk with other men so that they could negotiate um better then that's putting power back um to the athlete but you know it has to come from the sports brands themselves and i would i would really love to see well, particularly the north face take a, a lead on this but um you know and any of the other brands i would really love to see them come out and be public with with what they um with what the statistics are tell us tell us what the average um, of your uh, female contracts are and tell us what the average of your male contracts are and what the spread is. You know, you don't have to tell us individual athletes, but be more transparent about it. And then that will allow us as consumers and as athletes to make better decisions about where we want to put our um, put our support. I'd love to even see disclosure about even the total numbers of athletes um, uh, that are sponsored and making sure that that, that breakdown is, is sensible. But um, no, I mean, these are issues that happen across all aspects of life it, it shouldn't surprise us that they pop up in 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 the running community as well in in terms of um uh, you know training as a runner um sophie you're a coach yeah. um 
what what do you see different in terms of um, uh, your your female athletes um, and um, uh, how is that sort of uh, training um, uh, process and coach athlete um, dynamic um, different um, with with female athletes, if at all? I find so I find it. Um really interesting you know like when the the male athletes that i train often they will come up you know will come up with these great big racing plans for the year or adventures or things like that and you know it is very much a side comment that they will speak to their other partner to see if they're okay Whereas the woman that I coach, it is very much a, well, let me see what my husband's doing or let me see what my partner's doing. I, I just need to, like all the kids, I, you know, I can't because it's the school holidays or, you know, all of this stuff comes into it for the woman and, and for the men often, and I apologize to any of my male athletes who are listening to this, <laughs> it is a little bit of a, like, well, this is what I'm going to do and I'm, I'm sure I can make that work. Um, also things like you know a lot of that safety stuff of trying to find ways for my female athletes to train um particularly during the winter or if they are in you know like uh out in little villages you know if they don't necessarily feel comfortable kind of trying to come up with you know a variety of different sort of things that they can do in a, in a much smaller varied but you know the men often i'll be like great well let's go do like a three-day farm and the woman I spend a lot more time um, kind of trying to build up their self-belief mm. and it is so rewarding for me when I when I get that when a woman comes they're like I'm gonna do this big scary thing that honestly Sophie I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to do it and I'm like of course you can there is absolutely no reason that you cannot do this and then, you know, they, they go, they do it and they come back and they're just like, I, I can't believe that I, you know, I can now do these things. I can fast pack by myself for three days. I can, you know, go and run this big race that's scary and I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to make the cutoffs and all of that sort of stuff. You, there is a lot less of that having to build belief for the men often it has to be a little bit more of the like okay cool yeah i know that you've like just run your first 5k and now you want to go on <laughs> 10 let's, let's take just... let's take down some belief so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, cool, you've run a really flat like 50k and you want to go and you know do a, an extreme sky race i'm like okay cool so so maybe we'll get some climbing experience in there first. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> It's uh, it certainly is just it's yeah, it's very different. Um, but it's so satisfying coaching women. I mean, I love coaching men too. I really do. But just you know, when you when you have women who are not sure of themselves or don't aren't sure that they you know, some of my kind of greatest moments as a coach uh, are you know someone doing one of my athletes. You know, she she. Um, wanted to start running because her husband was doing ultras and you know last year she did for she did the centurion grand slam and for her that was a huge like a huge achievement and a huge achievement you know 50 uh, fifty milers in a year and like dealing with that going through menopause and all of that sort of stuff mm. and it just it was huge and to be a part of someone's journey like that and to help instill that belief that they are 
so capable and there are really big things in their future is it's really cool i haven't even considered that the menopause part is it's still on the horizon I mean, oh I yeah i'm concerned about yeah. not how it affects running oh god and, and you think it's bad for research you know just for women generally right and then mm. you bring in menopause and it's like, I mean, research probably is, you know, men are up here and, and women are maybe down here and their menopause is like that. I was, um, I was thinking the other day, one of my athletes sent me through a study about, uh, you know, the, whether or not um, trail running and road running can be kind of like equated and whether the speeds are the same and thing and, and you know, the, the headline was, you know, trail runners or blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I read through the study and it was on 17 men. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, why is it trail runners? Because it's not trail runners. It's male trail runners. Can we, maybe we need to start doing that because there is just so little research. I mean, it's getting better, but there is so little research on women in the, those sorts of spaces, even in medicine, right? Like. There was like and the, the lack of research is i mean it it, it has really um it has really negative effects and I, again i'm going to talk about um when i was briefly pregnant and and the miscarriage you know when i had the miscarriage there was a lot of uh not a lot but there, there was some kind of messaging coming back to me that oh it was because i was an alternator it was because you know i got pregnant right before hard rock. <laughs> it was because of, of my lifestyle. And, you know, if I want to get pregnant again, I, I, I should stop. And, you know, there is absolutely no research um, to, to back that up. There, it's, it's just part of this narrative um, and kind of the control of women's bodies. But, you know, it would, be, it would be great if we could have research to show how we can bounce back or, you know, what things we should do differently if we're training while we're pregnant or recovering from pregnancy. How does this affect, you know, higher level athletes? So, or just athletes in general who are women, <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't have any kind of science around this. And then, and then it just, it, it feeds into this, this narrative that, you know, we need to take the most conservative approach. We, we need to do less. And, um, and, and that, that really isn't going to, going to help us. I remember there was one, um, this isn't related to, to pregnancy or, or anything like that, but just talking about the studies, um, back in, I think 2009, I got a pelvic stress fracture and this is after I'd run, um, a series of, of races and <laughs> was doing quite well. And I was convinced it was because, you know, of my ultra running and, and something in, in the way that I was, that I was training. And I was going to, you know, a top sports medicine doctor at, at Columbia University. And, and he didn't, he didn't believe me. He was trying to find, first didn't believe that it was a pelvic stress fracture. And I was in an immense amount of pain um, and didn't believe my, I know it's bad to self-diagnose, but didn't believe my, my own reasoning about it. And I went out and did my own research and I found one study that was about female army recruits who were carrying these big heavy packs and they were training with this extra load. And because, you know, the specifics about being a woman, how we're structured, um, our hips, you know, are wider versus men and, and you know, the load that we carry affects us differently. They had, um, it was a study specifically on everyone getting the same pelvic stress fracture. And I had been training with a pack for a multi-day race. And I was like, this, this is me, but, you know, and I was lucky that I found one study, but you know, it's obscure study in the middle of nowhere. And, 
and, and that would have helped me get diagnosed earlier. That would have helped me get better treatment, would have helped me, uh, you know, change my training. This, this is the case across the, across the board. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's so fascinating, that idea that sort of our foundational knowledge for so many things, including sports science and, 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 and running performance, that that's often built on, you know, maybe single sex or not representative of, of, of our current running community. Um, and I, I do wonder sort of where that, uh, where you find um, uh, things coming out of that sort of accepted uh, principles that, that, that might not actually apply. I, I, so I actually, I, I wonder Can... for, for either of you, when you're sort of looking for training plans or assigning training plans to your athletes, do you, do you make technical modifications? Do you uh, do, do you have a different approach in terms of just even the, the nuts and bolts of sort of what workouts are necessary, rest periods, things like that? That's that's what I actually want to ask Sophie, just to, to jump in on that. Because Sophie, I know you've been looking into a lot more how women's cycles affect, you know, how they're able to train. I mean, I would just love to hear more about more about that. So there's still not a huge amount of science in the area because it becomes it's because we're difficult to study because we have a period and because we have these hormonal fluctuations and also because every woman is different um so kind of what i've read and what i've um, kind of seen is that you know some women don't have any problems really training through their cycle some women their cycle puts them in bed for a couple of days you know each month I think, so there's a really great uh, podcast, the Female Athlete Podcast. Um, so they're doing a lot of really good stuff. And it's a really good uh, place to just learn for women to learn more about their cycle. Like, I don't know about you, Steph, but like when I started looking into this and, and reading more about it and listening to um, people talk about it, I suddenly realized that what I learned about my <laughs> cycle, my body, my period, I had no idea what was going on you know like I knew I got my period once a month and and it was kind of annoying and you know that but then to actually learn about your hormonal fluctuations and what that can mean um for your you know possibility of getting injured at different times during the month of yeah. you know whether or not you're you've got more strength whether you've got you know high testosterone levels like all of that sort of stuff to start to learn more about that I was just like I got taught nothing at school about this and we should be teaching young girls this stuff like what is really happening to their bodies because you know it's all well and good for someone of my age but when you've got girls at school training and you have a coach who does not understand what a period means and there are still coaches out there who think it is perfectly okay for women to not get periods and it's, it's just horrifying, you know, like I, I'm, I'm seeing often, uh, you know, the, you, you see often the backlash of that in adults, you know, women who have multiple stress fractures, women who have, you know, not had their period for three, four years and being told that that was okay or being put on the pill to have a period that's not a real period. You know, I used to think my period was this really annoying thing and I, you know, I had the implant as contraception. It was great because I never got it. And then, then I realized that it is the super power for us, right? Like it is a way 
one way, and it is not necessarily entirely indicative of it, but it is one way of us to keep a track of our body's health. You know, like if you are not getting a period or if your period is disrupted or if, you know, like there is something going on there that means that your body doesn't necessarily have enough energy to take you through your normal hormonal fluctuations. So Mm -hmm. I think training around your period, um, it's a very, very personal thing. I think the best thing that women can do is to track it and to really pay attention to exactly how they're feeling each month you know is it regular do you feel like i get really grumpy just before i ovulate (laughs) and like just things like that you know like right okay so i know that that these are what i'm gonna go through and do i feel weaker in that week before um you know as an athlete myself to, to know that general like your hormones go back to a more balanced um state when you actually start bleeding to know that as an athlete, because I had a year where I raced every single race with my period. Mm. It was unbelievable. I was just like, what, what is this? I mean, I maybe it was racing too much. But it for me to know that if I stood on that start line and I have my period to go, okay, at least my hormones are normal now. Sure, mm. I might have to deal with tampons and, you know, like all of that sort of stuff. But at least I know that my hormones are regulated now and they're back to normal I get a little bit clumsy in the week before I get my period you know it's not exactly what you want to have out running on technical trail and it's just things like that it's just getting to know yourself your body and what that means as far as your own training anything to add to that stuff I mean I I think I've I've gotten much better at, at tracking um how my cycle affects me, but not so much in terms of how it's affecting my training. I mean, you say, Sophie, that you get, you know, really grumpy before you ovulate. I get quite a high sex drive. <laughs> so, you know, at least I know that. <laughs> but I don't know how that affects me out on the trails. <laughs> but it's, um, <laughs> I think, you know, the only thing I can add on this, I, I, I really just wanted to hear what, you know, Sophie's insights. Um, I think it's good that we're talking about it more, you know, and just as, as a, an additional element for us to think about, and more questions for us to to have, and so that we we can start to notice what patterns we we might have. Hopefully, we'll start to get more more research in this area as well. But um, I think for ourselves, if we can um, at least try to recognize that it does impact how we you know our energy levels and how we operate um, on. Uh, and off the trails, um, I, I think that would that would help. There's actually a film coming out um, by the North North Face on periods um, later this year that I think will be will be really interesting um, to look at and to to see that out there more in the public space. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's very very interesting. It's not like you know, fifty percent of the world's population has this goes through this and like for so long it's been this taboo subject that we don't talk about just you know i don't know i think the more the more that we can air these subjects the better yeah, well, it, it it shouldn't be an unexplored mystery, but I've I've learned a lot just uh, just listening to both of you. Uh, we're getting close to the hour mark, uh, but one last question for me is, as a just a member of the running community, um, not a race director, just just someone who's who's out there running, um, what what 
what could I do um, to uh, sort of be more um, thoughtful to 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 the um, the women who are participating, um, or even for other women in in terms of what they can do to to help support um, um, their 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 other runners. Yeah, it, it, it's a hard one because it, it's a question that, you know, we, I, I think we, we constantly get, get asked, which is good. You know, you know, what more can we do? And we've talked about the responsibilities of sports brands. We've talked about responsibilities of race directors. And we've, we've talked about, you know, various, um, you know, different governing bodies. But when it comes down to the individual, I think uh, we definitely need more uh, men, as Sophie was saying earlier, pushing for these same things that we're, we're pushing for. You know, it, it really helps um, to have men behind these kinds of initiatives to, you know, add to the voices that um, that some of us are, are raising and, and to push back um, on the people who are, are, are producing some of the backlash. You know, if we don't have um, members of the community here in the, the dominant class, let's call it, um, helping to create more space, then we're, we're not going to get very far. And some things don't require men to give up their, their power or their privileged position, like having um, similar um, podium spots and, and um, um, prizes. Those things are easy. Um, but quotas in, in races are more controversial because specifically of that element of, of men recognizing that, yeah, they, they need to give up some of their um, their privileged position in the sport, recognizing first that they have a privileged position in the sport and then and be willing to, to give some of that up because it's, it's going to make it the, the sport better overall. Um, I, I think I think we could really use more support on that. And then, you know, on an, on an individual, um, very basic level, uh, stop the mansplaining on the trails, as, as oh, Sophie was saying. Please. You know, we, 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 you think you're being helpful. We don't need to be told, you know, how we're doing, if we're going too fast, you know, tips for getting up the mountain. If you're not going to give that to a guy, don't give it to us because yeah. um, we're, we're probably just going to pass you anyway. We're good. Like, we, we know what yeah. we're doing. So like, get, okay. get out of Sophie's way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just and get out let of us pass. Get out of the way. Um, I think as well, like, you know, with regards to that whole kind of safety issue, um, being aware that you are, and you may not intend this in any way, but, you know, as a woman, unfortunately, when you're out running at night and there are, you know, you're in a, an environment that you feel unsafe and there are men running near you or running behind you or whatever, you know, just be aware that that is potentially making a woman feel a little bit uneasy also if you're going to pass someone can you just pass them and, and run faster like don't pass and then run in front and <laughs> slow them down it's really annoying like you know burn a match keep going get out of the way <laughs> it's a good rule you know, for all for all I, I have to say i've got one one tiny little anecdote to maybe end on you know when you were talking about that you know this term getting checked um for one road race that i did you know i hate road races but um in order to get through it i actually dressed as angry bird so i physically checked people when i ran past them and the expressions on their faces when these guys were taking it very seriously and i ran by them with this huge angry bird costume <laughs> it just made me feel a lot better about the whole situation so highly recommend it <laughs> You might have inflicted some long-term psychological damage there. So. I'm fine with it. <laughs>
Uh, no, that, that's fantastic. Uh, we, we, we should wrap up. Um, before we do, I just wanted to give you guys a chance to um, share any sort of upcoming plans, projects um, that, that, that you have, um, any social media or any other, um, anything else that you wanted to give a shout out to. Um, Sophie? Uh, you know what? I'm not really sure what I've got planned this year. I've got lots of lots of things in the pipeline, kind of. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe make my way back to the Tour de Gion. Um, but just having a year, yeah, <laughs> just again, I got unfinished business that one. I definitely know I can do better. Um, but I've got just. I will say you, you made the podium off. before you, you know, before you, you made the podium. So, okay, let's get that out there. <laughs> Yeah, but you know when you there's like there's like a bunch of stuff I did wrong, so I'd like to do it again and do a bunch of other stuff wrong probably that time. Um, but yeah, no, just kind of out there in the mountains trying to have some fun this year and do a whole bunch of different things. Okay. Um, and are you working on athletes or people want to find you on? Uh, uh, so how can they get? Instagram, Sophie Amy, at Sophie Amy Grant, um, and then I coach for Centurion Running, which is a uh, race um, organization in the UK um, and yeah on Facebook too the same handle no longer on Twitter got off that space when everything started to go very much downhill my site I'm out exited that it's very very understandable um, and, and Steph <laughs> what, what do you have uh, going on so I actually got a another um, space in Hard Rock um, which you know I feel very Fortunate. Two years in a row um, is is a the chances of getting that are, are pretty slim, um, which puts me in a strange place because I had as I was encouraging others to enter, I publicly said that I had no intention of running the the race this year because I, I wanted to get pregnant again, um, and then I I got a spot. So um, Hard Rock does have a pregnancy deferral policy, so let's see let's see what happens. Um, the one issue with the deferral policy, while they do allow you to um, enter um either the next year the next two years the next three years i mean not all of those years <laughs> defer by one two or three years um you have to requalify again so that's that's a factor um that i think adds another layer of complication um but let's see for the moment i'm in i'm in hard rock and um we'll see what what other adventures i can i can pull in either around the middle east or or back where my my permanent home and love is in in chamonix and then people can find me on on instagram i've made a terrible error on instagram because i've been meaning to change my name because i the name is the ultra runner girl which i you know picked in my 20s and it just does not match with you know my feminist stance and the fact that i'm i'm 40 now but now that i'm verified i can't change my name ever so i'm gonna have this until i'm 65. um so you can <laughs> you can find me at the very mature uh the ultra runner girl <laughs> all right well uh, th thanks so much to both of you for joining um this was really informative for me um and, and i hope our, our our listeners and viewers um uh, find it helpful and interesting as well um so wishing you great luck for for, for both of you in in 2023 um and for for everyone uh, thanks for joining us today um you can find the the trail talks podcast on on youtube um, and um, you can find ITRA on, on the web uh, as well as on all the social medias. Um, so uh, I'm Jeff Campbell, a pleasure to, uh, to, to host today and uh, happy running to everyone. Take care.